0: in northern Illinois, um, mowing the front lawn with our John Deere riding mower that a gracious member of the church had had given us. And I got a call from a lady in our church. Uh, She definitely didn't call often, but I had two of her boys in the student ministry. Um, And so I I, I should probably answer. And so after this kind of initial uh, courtesy conversation, uh, she told me, Jason, my, uh, my childhood friend just called me. She said that her niece just gave birth to boy-girl twins. They're doing fine, um, but still in the NICU. She wanted to know if I knew of anyone that was looking to adopt. And it's difficult for me to explain the, the flood of emotions that jolted through me. Um, in my shock, I, I slammed the mower in the, uh, in, front, in the tree in the front yard and I was like, oh, gotta call you back. Um, my wife and I had been struggling to have kids for years and we had started this licensing process to adopt uh, that February. We knew it, it was gonna be a long process. We had been told um, it's gonna be at least like two years uh, to adopt a baby. And, you know, what was God up to? I called our social worker uh, from Bethany Adoption Agency in Chicago. She, she honestly uh, didn't believe me. Uh, it, it doesn't happen like this. She tried to uh, dial down our, our expectations. And in fact, she was coming to our, our house that week um, for our very last home study. And we didn't realize that she had drastically sped up our licensing process because she had been planning a trip to Europe for several months. She called us back the next day in, in surprise, and uh, working on homework with, uh, for my master's degree, and she told me on the other line, she, she picked you all. Um, I'm gonna meet with her this week, and I found out that I'm actually close friends with uh, her social worker. <laughs> what was God up to? Those two weeks were a whirlwind. Uh, we were given parent access to the NICU to see uh, baby A and baby B. The adoption agency rushed our uh, FBI fingerprints uh, so we could be completely licensed. We spent a bunch of money we didn't have um, at a target in Madison, Wisconsin, so we could have everything ready if this, this actually happened. So, double stroller and two car seats, two pack and plays, two cribs, two of everything. What was what was God up to? Um, that Friday afternoon I stood in the NICU with everyone. Uh, my wife, my, my mom, our social worker, the, the birth mother, her aunt, her grandmother, her cousin. And the social worker asked me to pray and a prayer I'd say in like, one of the most surreal uh, moments of my life, like what was, what was God up to? Um, that Friday afternoon we, we walked out of the hospital, uh, with our very tiny son and daughter, Ezra and Eliza. So I promise you, uh, things are happening right now in your life that are, are moving you to a, a God-sized purpose, um. I promise you this, that, that God is in, at work in the details of your life in ways that you like might never realize until you're on the other side of that situation or maybe even the other side of eternity. And I promise you this, like God is in control and he's moving pieces and people and situations and details around for a much larger story. And so if this life has taught me anything, if being the pastor here at East River Park has taught me anything. It's that God is at work in glorious ways. Like, even if I can only see the hardships and the mundane things of this life, right now, if you, if, even if you can't see it, even if you don't feel it, God is at work, working out the details of your story so that it might conform to His story. And, like, that's not me just hyping us up some sort of spiritual experience. Um, that's not me peddling some false gospel that God's going to work everything out to give you what you want. No, it's a reminder that what we'll study in the Word is still true today, like that life is not some random puzzle that God's trying to figure out how to put back together. No, it's His story. It's His gospel. This is God at work in the details, and so today... We have a narrative of a man named Saul uh, spending his day in the mundane and then being thrown into a God-sized story. So this is 1 Samuel 9, if you have a Bible, um, if you have your notes, it's all there in the notes. Uh, If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV today, Uh, 1 Samuel 9. We'll take it through chapter 10, verse 1. And yeah, we're going to read all of that um, because so many of us have never heard about it or most certainly have forgot about it. Um, but before we read uh, the main passage today, let's, let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you in, in just confession. That there are many of us here today that have no idea how you're working in their life. That there are things happening, there are things unfolding that that we just can't see right now. And the only thing that we that we see and feel are struggle um, and uncertainty. But God, you're, you're at work whether we recognize it or not. And so just this mundane, unusual story from First Samuel 9, God, teach us, show us how you are a, a God that's in control and a God that is moving us to a hope that we can only have in Christ. And so we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So stay with me, we're going to read 1 Samuel 9, I'll start in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zorar, the son of Bekaroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And you're thinking, how did he know how to pronounce all those names? Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't, so just be confident here, guys. Uh, verse 2. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, and from his shoulder upwards he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so Kish said to his, Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and Passed through the, the land of Shalashah, and he did not find them. They passed through the land of Shalem, they were not there. Passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. They came to the land of Zeph. And Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father ceases to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. And the servant said to him, Behold, there's, there's a man of God in this city. And he is a man who is held in honor and all that he says comes true. So now let it, let us go there perhaps he can tell us where we should go. Saul said to his servant, "But if we go, we can what can we bring this man? The bread in our sacks is gone, there's no pre- present to bring the man of God, but like what do we have?" The servant answered Saul again, "Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way." Formerly in Israel when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And so Saul said to the servant, well, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up to the hill city, hill of the city, they met a young woman coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? they answered, he, he is, behold, he's just ahead of you, hurry, he has just come now to the city, because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place, and as soon as they enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice, afterward those who are invited will eat, now go up, for you will meet him immediately, and so they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I'll send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he shall give my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I've seen my people because their cries come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here's the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. And then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is this house of the seer? And Samuel answered, Saul, uh, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that's on your mind. And as for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that de- desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? And so Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of these tribes of Israel? And is not the clan of the, hum- the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul his young man, and, brought, and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave to you, which I said to you, put it aside. And so the cook took up the leg and was on it and set it then before Saul. And Samuel said, See, see what was kept is set before you eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with a guest. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he laid down to sleep. And then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. And so Saul arose. Both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. When he passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Chapter 10, verse 1. And then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people of Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. That was a lot. What is God up to? That's the question we wanna answer today from this passage. That seems like just so strange in many ways, but we do have an obvious clue in the text, a clue that we saw last week in 1 Samuel 8, verse 21 on the screen. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to this city. I mean, that, that's what we pressed play on last Sunday. We know God is in the process of of raising up a king for Israel. In their stubbornness, in their disobedience, God fulfills a flawed request with a flawed man. A man with, like, all the promise in Israel, but a heart that just chased after the things of this world. What is God up to in 1 Samuel 9? If you're a note-taker, let me give you point one. He is raising up a king like a priest. So having the full text and seeing the full story, like we know God is raising up a king, but like this? Like what an unusual unfolding of events. Like in God-like fashion, we get a story of a normal man just trying to live an everyday kind of life. We're introduced to the family in verses 1 through 2. There was a father named Kish, he's a man of wealth, and a man from the tribe of Benjamin. This tribe was formed under Benjamin, the youngest son of Jacob and Rachel. In Genesis 49, you'll see Jacob, he's kind of prophesying over his sons. Here's what he says about Benjamin. Genesis 49, 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey. And in the evening, dividing the spoil. That is the future promise of the tribe of Benjamin. And in many ways, the story of 1 Samuel, as we'll see in this study. But Kish... Kish had a son named Saul. And we see this description in verse 2. Saul was apparently good-looking. passage says it twice. He was a handsome man, taller than any of the people. So far, Like it, it sounds like they got the right guy. I mean, we, we, like we got a Tim Tebow kind of candidate to be the king of Israel. Now, my wife might say Joe Burrow, but he lost, and we're not going to bring him up. Um, so let's just, like, let's just get this over with, make him king. That's not where the story goes. We're introduced to a problem in verse 3. The donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. What's God up to? Like, like is he really going to use a donkey rescue to anoint the very first earthly king of Israel? Yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. We see the mission unfold in verses 3 all the way through 21. Saul is this obedient son. He listens to the, uh, and obeys the voice of his father. It begins in verse 3. Saul takes one of the servants and goes out to look for the livestock. Um, You can see kind of the search and rescue mission. There's a map. Um, If you would like me to stop showing maps, tell me. But there's a map. Um, They pass through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shalashah. Uh, Didn't find them. They looked in the land of Shalem, found nothing. They looked in the land of Benjamin, nothing. What was God up to? Finally, they came to the land of Zeph. The search was over, the animals, they're just, you know, they're just long gone. Verse 5, we even see the concern that Saul has for his father. We just need need to go back. My dad's going to quit worrying about these donkeys and start worrying about us. And then the servant finally speaks. A word most certainly prompted by a thought from the Lord. Saul, there's a man of God in this city. He's a good man. And he's a man of high honor. Saul, everything this guy says will come true. So before we go home, we should at least go ask him. Pretty solid idea. But they didn't have anything for that. Like Saul knows that you can't go empty-handed before a prophet of God. To go before a prophet, it was common to bring a gift. You see this in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7. Now, Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the, son, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told to him, the man of God has come here. Well, the king said to Haziel, take a present with you and go meet the man of God. Inquire the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from this sickness? Saul had nothing. Like, even the bread was gone. And not by coincidence. The servant speaks up again in verse 8. Saul, I've got a quarter shekel of of silver. I'll give it to the man of God. A servant. Willing to give up his own money. To find some donkeys that, that he didn't even own. What was God up to? So they went to the hill... Up the hill to the city, this theme that you'll see throughout this story, this going up to the high place, this going up, this walking up, this raising up of a king. They found themselves at a well where a young woman comes out to draw water in verses 11 through 14. And so they ask her, is the seer, is the prophet here? Yeah. He just arrived, but you have to hurry. They just sacrificed in the high place or getting ready to eat, go find him, hurry, the people won't eat unless he blesses the food, which I I get as a preacher. You know, like, ain't no one gonna pray for that food if they know I'm around. You know, Thanksgiving doesn't start until they find me and say, well, you know, he's the preacher, ask him to pray. Verse 14, the seer is revealed. It's the prophet Samuel coming out toward them. What is God up to? Samuel already knows. The Lord revealed it to him the day before in verses 15 through 17. The man of Benjamin would arrive. He'll be anointed. He'll, he'll save. He's the man of whom I spoke. He will restrain. And then there's clueless Saul. I mean, just, just out there looking for some donkeys, having no idea. The weight of a nation is about to be laid on him, having no idea that the seer was actually looking for him. Samuel says, I'm the one you're looking for. Today you'll eat with me. And in the morning, I'll let you go. And tell you all this on your mind. And don't worry about those donkeys. They've been found. It's not all the desires of Israel for you and your family. And like, I I mean, can you imagine hearing those words from Saul? As Saul. Like, why does he want to eat with me? Why am I being held hostage until morning? I mean, I know he's a prophet or a senior. But how, how does he know the donkeys have been found? I mean, what's he saying about all of Israel? I mean, these are heavy words for a humble man. He responds in verse 21, Am I not a Benjaminite, the least of the tribes, a humble clan? Like, why are you talking to me like this? Instead of answering, Samuel shows him in verses 22 through 24, there's a feast of the peace offering. And Saul is placed at the head of the table And the cook brings a leg of the lamb before Saul, a portion kept for Saul until this appointed hour. What is God up to? Well, he's raising up a king like a priest. Saul didn't realize this. Samuel certainly did. For the thigh was reserved for a priest. You see that in Leviticus 7, verse 31. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offering. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. Now, to be clear, Samuel isn't saying that Saul will be a priest. In fact, Saul like begins to lose his kingship because he does what only a priest could do in 1 Samuel 13. But regardless, it's clear Samuel is showing that Saul is more just than th- just some son of Kish, a Benjaminite. He is honored like a priest, and so they eat the peace offering meal together. What is God up to? Let me give you point to—he's raising up a king who knows the word. Saul was given another place of honor by being able to sleep on the roof. This quiet, cool, safe place to sleep during this time. And as promised, Samuel calls on Saul at dawn. Get up. It's time for you to be on your way. They're going to the outskirts of the city. Saul's servant was dismissed. And at the end of verse 27, you'll see Samuel stopped for a while and made known to Saul the word of God. A theme that we have seen all throughout 1 Samuel. You have a foolish priest in Eli who has ignored God's word. You have Eli's foolish sons who ignore God's word. You have Samuel's own foolish sons who ignore God's word. And every downfall in this story is really every downfall in your story. It's the ignoring of God's word. But that's not Samuel. Samuel's a righteous judge, a priest, a man that sticks to what God says a man that wants to hear from the Lord. Samuel knows that faithful leaders must hear and know the word of God, so it's right. It's right for him to share Saul with Saul everything that the Lord has spoken about the man. This, this is not just some word of a priest. It's not just some word of Israel. This is a word of God that called out Saul to become king. And it's imperative that Saul realizes that. A calling from the Lord. What is God up to? Quickly, let me give you the last two found in verse 1 of chapter 10. So point 3, he's raising up a king who is a prince. The Lord calls. Samuel anoints. You have this flask of oil that's poured over uh, Saul's head following this pattern of Aaron and the anointing of the priesthood. You see that in Leviticus 8. Verse 10, Moses took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and consecrated them, sprinkling some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So Saul would be a prince over God's people. Saul would be a prince over God's heritage. Saul would be a leader that Israel needed in the promised land. What was God up to? Let me give you point four. He is raising up a king who will stop the surrounding enemies. I think many of us um, that grew up in church, we kind of had this idea, all right, so Saul is a bad king and David is a good king. And I'd say in many ways it's right. But Saul, he wasn't a monster. He was flawed like all of us, and even flawed leaders are used by God to do good things. I mean, after all, he's tall and handsome. He's obedient to his dad. He's humble before Samuel. From all outward appearances, Saul was the man for the job. He did some really good things along the way. Like, even in the mess, and even in his grave mistakes, Saul led Israel to victory in the promised land many times, so it's it's truly what Israel wanted from the beginning, that God was raising up a king to stop the surrounding enemies. Saul. A man searching for the family donkeys discovered a kingdom to lead. What was God up to? God was raising up a king like a priest Raising up a king who knows the word, raising up a king who is a prince, raising up a king who will stop the surrounding enemies. I was um, so grateful for my years as a youth pastor and student ministry. and I, I tell people, like, I truly don't think anything better equips you uh, to be a lead pastor than to be a, a student pastor. And yet... Like, I knew that season was quickly coming to an end for me. I was ready to move on, and the church we were at, gave was just every opportunity to stay. I'm just eternally thankful for them. Um, but I ended up looking for a church job and ran across this church in Maysville, Kentucky. Uh, seemed like a great opportunity. Uh, it's close to family. Uh, decent area to live. I sent my resume, and course, didn't hear anything back. Um, I got on their website that week and realized that the pastor that was leaving was actually a good friend of mine uh, when we worked at a group home together in Louisville, Kentucky. And so, like, like this was perfect. God was up to something. I gave him a call. Um, he told me it was a great church. His family was moving to Indianapolis uh, to serve at a church plant. Um, leaving on great terms, and he had a lot of influence on who his replacement would be. So it just it was like, oh, it felt right. Um, put in good word for me. The church leadership quickly called, and before long, we had an interview locked in uh, with the search team. So we drove from Illinois to Kentucky that weekend, and everything was perfect. And my wife and I we grabbed coffee downtown, uh, Maysville, at this nice little coffee shop, and. Uh, like, just, just sitting there thinking, you know, I, like I could see, this, this is a place we could call home. I drove around with um, their two elders after the search team meeting, and they showed me more of the area. Like, I was a Kentuckian. I, I knew this place. I had an inside connection with the pastor. And so, like, after all of this waiting, after all of this searching... God was up to something, like we could, we could feel it. And then nothing. I mean, we heard nothing for like two months. I got a call from one of their elders. I was standing in the aisle of a Walmart and he said, hey, Jason, um, the search team has split on this decision we're, we're just going to start over and look for someone else. And that crushed me. Like, how, how could God so clearly be working out all of these details and it does not work out? And the truth is, because I, like I wasn't looking far enough ahead if it wasn't for that rejection, my family wouldn't be here. Um, If it wasn't for that phone call in Walmart, I wouldn't be at East River Park that I love so dearly with people I want to grow old with. Like The truth is, God is always in the details, and when it doesn't seem like he is, you're just not looking far enough ahead. The truth is, as we'll study over the next few weeks, like Saul's Saul's gonna end up as a failed leader. But that doesn't mean God wasn't working in those details. For God was not just raising up Saul as king, God was raising up Jesus as king. And if you're thinking like, man, is he really gonna bring up King Jesus for this entire series? The answer is yes, because that's exactly what I'm gonna do. If you didn't come here to hear about Jesus, like this church is not for you. Through all the mess, Saul is just a shadow of something far greater. Saul was like a priest, but Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Saul was a king who needed the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Saul was anointed prince over God's people, but Jesus is the prince of peace of all people. The prophecy of Christmas, Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Saul would save the people from the surrounding enemies for sure, but Jesus has and will conquer every enemy. Colossians 2, 15 he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So I get it. You might not know what God is up to right now. Saul certainly didn't. He wasn't expecting what was ahead. Like You're Your life might be filled with mounting anxiety about what the future holds. Your life just this morning might be filled with All kinds of suffering and pain. You might have no idea what God is up to right now. I just want us to look far ahead enough to see Jesus. We know that God raised up King Jesus. Everything's gonna be all right. He's the priest that goes before us. He's the word that we build our life on. He's the prince of peace that has and will stop not just surrounding enemies, but all enemies. God has raised up a king. So you, have, you might have no idea what God is up to on Sunday, February 5th of 2023. But if we look far enough ahead to see Jesus, you can truly know if you are in Christ that everything's going to be all right because everything will be made right in Christ. I'll end with Ephesians 1, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God was in the process of raising up a king for Israel, but God has raised up King Jesus for the nations. So simply your summary point is God has raised up King Jesus. Let's pray and then um, we'll say some words on baptism.